15, and a few verses are going to be up on the screen. We'll read those together, and then I'm going to, as I've been doing, I'll read the rest of the section, and I'll read it a little bit faster. That's why um, we don't read it all together. So I'm going to invite you to stand if you are willing and you would desire, and we're going to read God's Word together from John 14, starting in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And Jesus continues, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, not the one who would betray, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you, teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would, be, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me. So that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Lord Jesus, as we listen to these words that you spoke to your disciples and you had very particular things that you wanted for them to hear, and at the same time you knew that your spirit was going to allow these words to be spoken for generations after, and you, spirit, have very particular things you want us to hear about the Son. We ask that you'd give us ears to hear those things, and that as a result in the, somewhat of the, the complexity of what Jesus, what you're saying, that you would so, show us the simple truths, the simple realities, and not only to grow us from an intellectual perspective that we would actually know you better, but also that you would help us to trust, that you'd help us to rest, that you'd help us to experience and encounter you. We ask this all in your name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. So Jesus began this whole section that we didn't read. We read it last week. This is the first verse in 14 that he says, Don't let your hearts be troubled even in troubling times, but instead believe in God, believe also in me. 
And we said last week, the big, big idea there was in troubling times, Jesus offers comfort to the troubled hearts. So now he's going on to explain how his people are going to grow to look like him. This is what Christians are supposed to be. We're supposed to be being formed and shaped to look more like Jesus. How do they, how do we live in authentic, authentically oriented lives to Jesus? How, how is this supposed to happen? How are we to live these Jesus-saturated lives? How do you not just, because we can get stuck in this, I think at times, this mechanical or kind of cold belief or mechanical cold following, how do we rather be excited, energized, might I use the word aroused by Jesus? Okay, how does this happen? Well, here's the, here's the big point for this morning. Jesus-oriented lives are excited, they are aroused by a Jesus-oriented helper. We need a Jesus-oriented helper to arouse and excite us to live this Jesus-oriented life. And this helper here, the Greek here is parakletos, which I'm sure I'm butchering that, but the idea, it's a little bit hard to define what it means. It's often, it's used as helper or advocate or an encourager or a mediator. He's referred to um, in verse 17 as the spirit of truth. And then, and that's the one that Jesus says, hey, I'm going to ask the Father to send this helper, the spirit of truth. And then in verse 26, he says, this is the Holy Spirit that the Father is going to send to you. So this is this helper. How does he come to be a helper? What does this even mean? What kind of help does he bring? Because Jesus doesn't here give this exhaustive list of what the helper does. He doesn't really give a systematized, systematic teaching on who the helper is, who the Holy Spirit is. What he shows as we listen to this text is one of two things, okay? Either these are the ramblings of a madman. I mean, listen to what's being said here. This is a complex thing that he has to say. So you may say, this is the ramblings of a madman, or it's a glimpse behind the curtain of the God who made all things. I think those are kind of the options for us. And I'm going with number two. Uh, obviously, Th these words have been penned long ago. People have been reading them and meditating on them for a long time. I think they've kind of proven themselves not to be the ramblings of a madman. If you struggle with that, please, let's have conversations that's an important conversation to have. If you can accept this, we're going to see that within this love and union that the Father and the Son have, that's what he's been talking about, the Spirit is so intertwined, so united to them, that his holy presence truly represents their presence. So he's intertwined, the Father-Son relationship, the Spirit is intertwined in this, so when he is present, he is actually representing the presence of the whole of them, of the Father and the Son. Okay, this may be a heretical illustration, because whenever you try to delve into this, you're going you're gonna to be on the verge of heresy. So don't take it too far. Just listen to it for what it is. So my one of my daughters, Hannah, who left us several years ago, meaning she went away for college. The other three stayed here. They all went to actually UNC. So she went to South Carolina to go to nursing school. 
Hannah's always had this amazing bubbling person personality, but when she was in high, middle school, high school, she, we saw it at home, but she was much more reserved when she would go out in public. When she moved away and she actually started developing her own life and her own friends, that personality that we got to see, everyone else got to see. And so I can't remember if she called me or if this was during a conversation when she came out to see us or we were out to see her. But she had been out with friends, I don't know, at a party or something like that. And she, she told me, she said, Dad, I'm you. <laughs> Because she realized, like, this personality of wanting to, because she was so reserved earlier on, she realized her personality was, was really, truly her personality was this kind of outgoing personality. She also saw me in her. She was representing my personality in many ways. On an infinitely greater scale and to an infinitely greater degree, the Spirit's presence with us represents Jesus and the Father. Okay, don't take it too far, but think about that. His presence is so aligned with, he's so integrated with the Father and the Son, that his presence is their presence with us. So how does the Spirit live with us in a way that is a helper, that he's a, a companion or a presence or a power? How does he serve as a helper? I want to look at four areas that John, that Jesus gives us and that John is recording for us. He embodies Jesus' love. He teaches Jesus' word or his life. He mediates Jesus' peace, and then he convinces us of Jesus' mission. All right, so we're just going to run through each of these. He embodies Jesus' love. So verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. As I will ask the Father, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. All right, so simply speaking, let's just take it for what it, for what it says, the plain reading of this, a life oriented and excited by Jesus keeps his commands, keeps his words. If you follow him because you think he's worth following, then it makes sense that you do what he says is good, right? I mean, that's what he says, and that, that does kind of make sense. What are the commands? Well, everything he says. I mean, you could just go with everything he says. In addition to that, the beginning of this book in John chapter 1, Jesus is called the Word made flesh. That's how it sets the stage. He is, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And then later on he says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So he is inseparably tied to not only what he says in his life, but to all God had already said in the Hebrew scriptures about himself and about what we can believe and about how we are to live. Jesus is the embodiment of all that. So what does he command? All of the book, you could say. All right, having said that, so I laid that out there. With that, he does give a capstone statement of what this command is. And you have to go back to chapter, because he just said it in chapter 13. 13 verse 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you. What is that? That you love one another. Just as I, loved, I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the summary of what it means to obey his commands. Okay, so all the commands, yeah, 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 yeah. But let me, under, he says, let's be clear about this. It's all about one thing. Love others as I've loved you. That's his command. 
This is what a Jesus-oriented life looks like, embodying his love. But in order to do this, if you have not figured this out already, this is impossible, okay? I mean, this is, oh, sure, just love. Well, no, 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 love like Jesus loved. Okay, that's like a whole nother level. Isn't that unattainable? So before we freak out and say, well, this is impossible, might as well give up, we need to hear what he says right after. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Right after that, he immediately follows up with, look, I'm going to give you, I'm going to ask the Father, and, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. So from this... We see that the helper, the spirit of truth, must be present to help embody the love of Jesus and to keep his commands. You don't do this on your own, is what he's saying. He knows this is not something we can do without the helper. That's why he says, I'm going to ask for a helper to be sent. When Jesus goes on from there, he says, look, the world can't receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. For he dwells with you and will be with you. What's he, what's he meaning by this? Uh, well, how are we supposed to see the spirit that is invisible? I mean, that's kind of what we think of when we think of spirit. The spirit's invisible. He says to his first audience, they saw him. You've, you've seen it. He says, you've seen him talking to the people that were right in front of him. Okay, where's the invisible spirit? All right, for this, John's already kind of told us back in John chapter 1 again. So Jesus goes to get baptized by another John, John the Baptist. And in this, this is in verse 32 of chapter 1, he says, John says, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. It remained on Jesus. Jesus was not only the radiance of the Father, he housed the Spirit of God. If you see Jesus for who he is, you are seeing the Holy Spirit. Is what you, you're seeing. It's kind of like what he had just said to one of the other disciples. Look, have I been with you so long? You haven't seen the Father? He's saying the same thing. I have been with you. You are seeing the Spirit who now becomes the helper that he's going to send. That is why the world cannot see and receive the helper because they don't see and receive Jesus. You can't have one without the other. Jesus goes on. This is verse 18, getting back to chapter 14. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'll come to you, yet, yet a little while, and the, the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who, uh, who, and he who I, wow, what did I type there? Goodness. I have no idea. I should have read over that. He who I love will loves me. I will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Then Judas, and Judas, this is the one that didn't betray him, another Judas, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and the Father will love him and will come to him. We will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Okay, this, this text is so in-depth that i got to keep reading it. So we read it once, and I keep reading it because we need to just keep hearing it. The more I've been reading it, this, this passage has always been very confusing to me, and I feel like 
maybe for the first time this past couple of weeks, it's starting to sink in. I like I'm, but I think it has something to do with keep reading it. So that's why I keep reading it. I hope that's okay with you guys. There's a lot of keeping his commandments talked about here. He brings this up a lot. Why? It allows us to connect with his love. That's why he brings it up. There's something about loving like him that opens us to knowing his love. When we do this, we not only embody the love of Jesus to others, he embodies his love to us. We start to connect. Not because we gain his favor, but because we are experiencing his character of love as we are loving. Okay, does this make any sense? I'm, I've, been, I've been wrestling through this. Like, how do you not turn this into a works thing? Like, well, if you keep my commandments, I'll love you, right? That's, I don't think that's what he's saying. He's saying, no, you're going to actually experience my love when you keep my commandments. There's a little bit of a difference, isn't there? Okay, or am I just tricking myself into thinking it? Do you see it? Okay, you see it. So this was years ago, and I don't, somebody YouTube this and find it for me, but Bono, y'all know who Bono is, right? From you two, okay. Is Bono just like a whole other generation now? <laughs> Probably so. So he, uh, he was very involved with like AIDS relief in Africa, and I think he s- still probably is. And there's a video, it w- well, it was, a, it was a news report, one of the major news, re- news people, ABC, NBC, CBS, somebody, had gone over with him to Africa. And I remember this scene, I hope I'm not making it up, because I remember this scene, they're walking on a dirt road, and the, inter- the guy who's interviewing, the anchor man, which I don't remember who it was, was interviewing him. And in the midst of the interview, he says, why, you, why do you do this? He's, Bono says, well, it, actually, it's selfish. It's because when I encounter them, when I'm loving them, I'm actually encountering God. This is what Bono says. When he's, when he's actually engaged with them, he's actually seeing and engaging God. I think there's something for us. When we give gifts to someone and it feels good, that can be an exciting thing. Why is it an exciting thing? Because you experience love by loving. You're not just giving the love away. Somehow, the Spirit uses your loving another person for you to experience love yourself. When you obey Jesus and love as he loves, you experience his love and Jesus is then manifest to you. The Spirit helps us embody Jesus' love for others. The Spirit helps us do that. And he embodies Jesus' love for us. The Spirit does that. You with me? Is this okay? This is something to chew on, to talk some more about as time goes on. So, as the Spirit Spirit excites us, Jesus says He also teaches. He's a teacher. Verse 25, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach, teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. A primary role of the Helper, primary role that He plays in our lives, is to teach us Jesus' words. 
Or, and don't think about just his, the verbal words. His life is like he is, remember, he's the embodiment of the word. Think about his whole life. The, the Spirit's job is to teach us Jesus' words and life, to point us to him, to instruct us about him, to constantly remind us of him. He is the perfect evangelist. The Holy Spirit is the perfect evangelist, the storyteller of Jesus, the perfect one that we need prompting us and, and, and prodding us and comforting us and showing us what we have learned about Jesus, like the remember the things that you have already heard, but also revealing new and deeper aspects. He corrects where we go astray and he opens new doors to what we have not yet heard. That's the role of the Spirit. As he does this, he excites us. As he's doing this, he wants to arouse us. The Spirit's teaching is greater than a normal teacher. Jesus even seems to argue, and later on we'll see this in chapter 16, he seems to argue that the helper is even better than he is, Jesus is, in his physical presence and teaching. So Jesus seems to make that argument. That's always bothered me, but I think maybe, maybe this does make sense. Lo and behold, maybe Jesus does make sense. Okay. The Spirit's teaching helps turn our hearts of stone to flesh. He reanimates us in such a way that we are deeply, almost genetically altered and reoriented. That's something that the Spirit can do. How does this happen? Wow, okay, this is, again, we need to talk a lot more about this, but just throw it out, I'll throw it out there. He uses people. This, he uses community, and ultimately, preeminently, he uses his word, right? The word that, he insp- the, that the Spirit inspired, the recorded word, the scriptures. But at the end of the day, with all of that, he has to be the teacher. He has to press that stuff, that person of Jesus, he has to press it in, into our lives. We need for the Spirit to do that. All right, so from there... Jesus says, verse 27, peace I leave to you, my peace I give to you, not, not as the world gives. Come on, I'm going to give you something much better. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I'm going to come to you. If I, if I loved you, you, if you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. The Father is greater than I. All right, Jesus gives peace. Jesus gives peace. The helper mediates the peace. This is especially needed when the world and circumstances around us are troubling. We need the mediated peace. Jesus' peace, he says, is not like what the world gives. It is not dependent on circumstances. That's one aspect of what it means to not be like the world's peace. Nor is it a forced peace. I think this is getting more to what he says. It's not like the world's. How does the world produce peace? Well, in his time, the Pax Romana, right? What's the Pax Romana? That's the, the Roman peace. How did th- that was peace among the nations within the Roman Empire. How did they exercise that peace? How did they create that peace? Through love? <laughs> Through a sword? That's how they created the peace. It's won by yielding the sword, by wielding the sword. His peace is different. It's won by overcoming the sword. 
and it's, and it's just plain bigger as well. All of that peace is temporary. It doesn't last. His peace is it's peace with God that is made by God that guarantees a future of complete peace, of shalom, we call it, of God for the world. This is his kind of peace. Jesus says he will soon return to his Father. This is a good thing. Though things are going to change, he doesn't change. He will continue his humble service and gracious rule from a greater position. He's going back to the Father. Returning to this greater position allows him to send the Spirit to take his place and to carry his love and his word and his peace to more people and deeper into people, to any and all who believe in him, who want him. There's something greater about him returning there and sending the Spirit who can do some things that Jesus in the flesh wasn't doing. The Spirit, and I'm just, again, if you have questions about let's let's talk because this is, these are some profound realities that are not always super clear as we first hear them. The Spirit mediates this peace by being the presence of peace, the presence of the Prince of Peace, but also He reminds us of what Jesus has accomplished, what Jesus has won to bring the peace, which is why we end with this last one, this last idea, what, what Jesus says, the last idea, we need the Spirit to convince us and keep convincing us of Jesus' mission and the heart of that mission. We need this. This is a kind of, kind of, it's kind of a penultimate, like second to ultimate climax, because it's not the end. He says, hey, let's get up and go from here. And then Jesus goes on to talk for four more hours, <laughs> or however long it was, right? It's, it's not the end, because he does keep talking, but he is bringing all of this kind of together when he says, verse 29, and now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. So he's tying back into how he began the whole thing. This part of the whole thing, right? Believe in me. Believe in God and believe in me. So he's tying it back in. He says, I'm no longer going to talk with you much, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise. Let's go from here. Okay, remember, this is the night he's going to be betrayed. The night, the day before he's going to be executed. He is preparing his disciples and his friends who were right in front of him for what was coming so that when they see it take place, rather than crushing them, it would actually help them to believe. So he's preparing them. He's saying, look, this stuff is coming. So when you see it happen, know that this is how it's supposed to work itself out. Let it increase your faith. Let it, let it encourage your faith. And with this, he explains the partially unseen reality of what's going to happen. Because they're going to see a certain reality, but he's saying there's something bigger in the midst of what you're going to see that's taking place. And what is that? The ruler of this world is coming. Understand, the ruler's coming. The one who wants to enslave you and to kill you and to steal from you and to destroy you and to disintegrate you, he's coming. There are evil forces at work behind much of what was happening. There are evil forces at work in much of what is happening in our lives right now. Don't be um, surprised 
It's how it's been. While acknowledging this reality, he quickly says, this is true, I want you to understand that. But he says, this ruler, this evil has no claim on me. He has no power over me. It'll look like he is winning the day, but understand as awful as this will be, and as much as it appears he is in control, he's not actually in control, and he has no claim on me. In some ways, what he's saying is he is a defeated foe that's coming after me. I'm actually winning when it looks like I'm losing. Understand, that's what's going to happen. It's going to look like I'm losing. But in what looks like loss is gain. What is happening, what is about to happen, Jesus says, is not simply that others will take me and abuse me and kill me, which they will do, but rather I'm willfully choosing to follow what the Father has commanded me so so that the world may know that I love the Father so that the world may see the extreme relational love of this father-son-spirit thing, unity. So the world will see it, he says. How? I mean, how is this love that he's about to step into? Jesus is talking about going to his torturous death. Come on. Where is love in that? How is this love... How is this showing his love for his father or his father's love for him? The command Jesus gave was what? Okay, well, got to think through this. How is this love? The command Jesus gave was for us, love one another. So I would say it's reasonable to say the command that the father gives to the son is to love one another. That's what he's telling us. I'm assuming that's what the father would say to him, love others. To love the world in a way that the world would be rescued from the destruction of their unlove. I want you to love the world, and I want you to rescue them from their unlove. How will the world know love? How is the world going to know this kind of love? By Jesus standing against the ruler of the world. This is how the world will know. And the spirit of the world he will stand against, of the hatred, of the violence, of the mocking, of the rejection. As he stands, it comes at him full force. Jesus stands, and the, the rule of the world attacks. We attack full force. And rather than justly returning what we deserved, rather than destroying the violent destroyers who rage against his rule, that rage against his way, that rage, rage, rage against his truth and his life, rather than fighting it, he took it. He practiced what he preached. He turned the other cheek. He responded not in hate or vengeance or even what would have been just, which was, would have been justice. Instead, he loved by forgiving, even at his worst hour. At his worst hour, so it's an agonizing point. What does he say? Father, forgive them. different. He laid down his life rather than taking the life of his enemies and his accusers. This horribly unjust death became the most holy, beautiful sacrifice of love, the most holy act of love, which covered the sins of the world for all who believe, for all who find him ultimate love. 
In this way, he showed the world his love for his father. How? How is that showing the love for the father? By loving what the father loved. You. That's how he showed his love for the father. He loved what the father loved. Us. And doing what was necessary to rescue us into their community, into their family. This is not something you figure out on your own. We're not, I'm not smart enough. We need a helper for ourselves and for those that we share this crazy, incredible story. We need a helper. Not only to embody Jesus' love and to teach us his life and his words and to mediate his peace, we need one to show us, to convince us that the heart of Jesus' mission is love for his Father and their rescuing love for us. We need that helper. In spirit, that's what we ask, that you would do what you promised you would do, which is be our helper. To come to us and to be the the most perfectly Jesus-oriented helper that there is. That you would embody his love in us and to us. That you would teach us, continue to teach us his word and his life. That you would mediate his peace deeply mediate his peace into us and convince us, maybe for the first time or for the millionth time, reconvince us the heart of your mission, the heart of the mission of the Son, what he's done on our behalf. We ask this all in your name. Amen.